And you are listening to the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast, formerly known as the Bleeding Big Blue podcast. Alex Skyridge Fudge back again. So I made the name change on Saturday shortly and during the first Yankees game, the exhibition game versus the Mets. So we got a couple things to talk about today. Originally, it was going to be the NFL's proposal of one preseason game. Now it's cut to zero. We'll talk about that. The Giants are not having fans in the stands this season, neither are the Jets, unfortunately. We'll talk about the statement they made on that. Also, the breakdown and the takeaways from the Yankees' exhibition games against the Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies. So, let's get into topic number one right away. But first, if you have not subscribed to the YouTube channel, go do that. All the links should be in our bio. If you click on the Apple Podcast or the Google Play link, it will show up as Bleeding Baby Blue Podcast or Big Blue in the Bronx, just with the cover art for the Bleeding Baby Blue Podcast. Same podcast, everyone, just a different name to it and a different spaz. So today, earlier today, the NFL came out with a proposal of one preseason game. Now, the NFL players were complaining about safety protocols, they were complaining about this, that, and the other thing, and they were taking to Twitter and Instagram about it, most likely Twitter, most notably Twitter, and then the NFL responded with this. They also made a thing about agreeing with the NFL Players Association on COVID testing for the first two weeks every day of training camp, and then going onward and upward. So that was that. Now, a couple hours ago, maybe close to the recording time that I'm doing this actually, Adam Schefter came out, per sources, said that the NFL has offered no preseason games to the NFL Players Association. I've said this way too many times, people, and if you follow my Twitter, and if you listen to my podcast, this does not favor the players and the undrafted free agents that don't get too many chances. This was for those players that I talked about just a couple seconds ago, tweeting on Twitter how it's not safe. You know what? It may not be safe, but as I was ranting earlier on Twitter a couple days ago, why don't you come up with a devised plan for all of you? And I also said this. The NFLPA and the board of representatives that Nate Solder's on, they don't represent everybody. They represent the million-dollar players and the average players, not the ones that don't get too many chances in the NFL. I've said this too many times, and... Unfortunately, they're not taking me seriously. I'm not an NFL source. I'm not a broadcaster for ESPN or NFL or Fox Sports Radio. But again, I said this too many times and people are starting to pick up on it. Other people on Twitter are starting to say, hey, what's going on with this? So it's now no preseason games and you're giving them what they want. Drew Brees, Russell Wilson... Miles Garrett, out of all people, you know what's a safety precaution that the NFL should take? They should not let Miles Garrett play the season. If he's going to sit here and complain, and I know NFC North fan, I really don't care about the situation other than the fact that we actually play the Browns this year and that we need to block him on defense. What's a safety precaution? Not letting him play. I'm tired of these hypocrites in the NFL. They do these dangerous things to players. Vontez Burfecht hasn't spoken up yet, which I would have shut him down immediately on Twitter. And Bobby Skinner also said something too. I have respect for Russell Wilson. This is before we get to the Miles Garrett thing. I have respect for Russell Wilson. And unfortunately, he was one of those players bargaining for Antonio Brown to come to the Seahawks. And they're still doing work on him. Why let Antonio Brown back in the league after he claimed retirement? Yesterday, it doesn't make any sense. He's a harm around players. He's a harm around people. 
Honestly, that's my opinion. But he's campaigning and is saying, my wife is pregnant. Why would I go out in an unsafe world just to get, you know, how much money? And I'll pull up the tweet, obviously. You guys are looking at it now if you're watching YouTube. You can also look at it on Twitter if you guys follow me. But he said that, and then Bobby Skinner pointed out, this is the same guy that was working out with Antonio Brown. So a good point out by Bobby, and a lot of other people are stepping in saying, you're calling for safety precautions, but you're doing this. No, shift to Miles Garrett. He smacked somebody, that's Mason Rudolph, over the head with a helmet last year. Mason Rudolph's helmet. And then he got kicked in the head by Marquise Pouncey, the center for the Steelers, Personally, I don't know if kicking him in the head was really the way to do it. I don't think he should have been suspended as long as he was, meaning Marquise Pouncey. But that's another topic we're going to talk about. And then he starts complaining, really, after he just got paid a multi-million dollar extension from the Cleveland Browns. Oh, it's not safe. I'll pull up the tweet right now. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, let's go on the safety precautions. We need to hear some responses. It's also another thing to be a hypocrite and, you know, be ahead of that NFL PA or NFL board representatives for players. It's another thing to be that one and then not represent everybody. I'm not saying you can't voice your concerns, but also look at the past and think, hmm, should I say this because of what people might think? Now, honestly, I agree with the self-esteem and self-confidence rule of don't let other people get to your head. You do you. Don't let them say shit about you. And then you take yourself down that way. I support that modem, that rule, whatever you call it, the motto. But I'm not going to sit here and play reindeer and then have him say that and then hypocrites. Again, listen, Russell Wilson, he's one of the better quarterbacks in this league. He hasn't really done anything detrimental. But you're working out with Antonio Brown, who's one of the more dangerous. And to be honest with you, I don't think he's right up there as of right now because of all the hits he's taken in the head and then the way he's been acting the past two years almost. It's going to be almost two years and whatever he's been, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But so far, no NFL player. Please call me out on this if I make a mistake. But no NFL player yet has said, hey, why don't we have at least one or two preseason games for those undrafted free agents and those veterans that really don't get too many chances. I haven't seen that. I'm the last one to defend Roger Goodell, but come on, people. Let's recognize what's in front of us and actually think about the situation here. And we're not just saying, you know, COVID. We're not just saying that. But the NFL players right now that are advocating no preseason games this year are going to be the same ones advocating for only two in the future. This is not just for COVID people. Wake up. This is for preventing the injuries of star players. You know what? Have them play in training camp. Don't play them in the preseason. It's too bad that some of these players don't get too many opportunities in the NFL as much as the million dollar guys. Some of them may not play good, but at least give them the opportunity and give them the right to play in a preseason game before you scramble and take it away because of the big mouths. And you know what? Shame on Roger Goodell. I never get political with my topics, and I won't. Not even right now. But when it comes to everything that has happened over the last couple of years or anything you could bring up a topic about and then players and fans are going to cry about it, he's the first one to bow down to them and give it. He's not Manfred or Adam Silver of the NBA. He works for the owners and he bows down. He bows down to everybody who criticizes him. And you know what? If you're in a commissioner job, you have to take criticism. You have to. And you have to learn how to accept it. 
If you can't take criticism, sorry you shouldn't be in that job. I don't know if he takes it personal or not, but when you're doing that and when you're advocating for two preseason games in the future, people are going to lose money through broadcasts and other things. Ticket sellers, two less games in the preseason. People don't know how much money that is because they are cheaper. Those preseason tickets are cheaper depending on the stadium, but that's money. That's revenue, and they don't understand that. What I'm about to say will jump me into my next topic, but what I'm talking about is, what if you're trying to make up for the revenue you lost with some stadiums not having fans in the stands this year, just like MetLife Stadium and the other stadiums across the country? What if you're trying to make up for that revenue and say, nope, we're cutting two preseason games because star players don't want to get hurt? That's the main reason, everybody. It's star players. Nobody thinks about the players that are undrafted free agents or the backups. Nobody cares when they get hurt. I'm not a fan of some of those guys, meaning the backups. I'm not a fan of John Halapio's play. But you know what? As a player's right, he should get a chance. He should. And we talk about these role models that Russell Wilson and Drew Brees and many other players are. Yeah, that's great and all. But when it comes to your own damn league, you can't represent the low-tier players. You can't represent the minority players, not racially, but money-wise. That have dreams invested in football. They have their life and occupation invested in football. And if they don't make it maybe one year, they have to find another occupation. You know how hard it is in this country with how many people live here? So don't give me that crap. You're never going to convince me two preseason games. I think it should be four. You don't want to play your star players? Don't play them. Put them in the training camp. Have them a couple reps. And even if you did or didn't have fans in the stands, you're losing money to broadcast this preseason. But for many multi-million dollar players, they're still getting millions of dollars. Because if they didn't, they'd cry like babies. And if the NFL does take away 35% of their salary, I'm not going to support it. Even though I just said that they would cry like babies, it wouldn't be right because they're still playing 16 games. And even though the preseason might be cut, you don't play for the actual preseason, you play for the regular season. And I know people like to say, oh, the preseason's garbage. Talk about the undrafted players and the players who didn't get a lot of playing time in the NFL, the backups. How is it fair to them? Before I jump out of my next subject, who knows? Players and college players and high school players going into the future, going into college or wherever they go, if they're not a number one player, they might be scared. They might say, oh, I have less games to play to showcase my talent. If I'm not a number one player automatically, I don't know if I'm going to survive. That's just how it's going to be. I might have to take it that way or might have to choose another occupation. That's how it's going to be in the future if they keep advocating for this. That's just a hint, in my opinion. That's how I see it. So earlier today, Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey said that until further notice that MetLife Stadium would not have fans in the stands and because of the public gathering up to, I think, 500 people or less, they can't have fans in the stands and that does apply to them. So here's what the Joint Jets-Giants statement says. Today, Governor Murphy announced that due to the ongoing public health crisis, his executive order limiting outdoor public gatherings will apply to events at MetLife Stadium until further notice. This decision was reached after careful consideration of the current state of the COVID-19 crisis in discussions with the Jets and the Giants, and in consideration of the health and safety of our fans, players, and staff, which will continue to be the primary focus for our teams. We support Governor Murphy's decision in the interest of public health and safety, and until circumstances change, both the Jets and the Giants will play our games without the benefit of fans in attendance. 
Although we would prefer to have fans at MetLife Stadium for our games, we will continue to work with Governor Murphy's office and will provide updates if necessary. Additionally, out of an abundance of caution, each team's 2020 training camps and practice will not be open to the public. We urge our fans to continue to take the necessary precautions recommended by health officials to stay safe, and we look forward to seeing you at MetLife Stadium as soon as possible. Thank you again for your continued patience and understanding during these unprecedented times, and we will continue to provide additional information as it becomes available. The New York Giants and the New York Jets. So there you have it, folks. Unfortunately, fans won't be let in. And that's that. Unfortunately, COVID-19 has captured enough of the community and the world at this point in time. And unfortunately, us Giant fans and us Yankee fans at this point will not be let in the stadiums. But hopefully, if things get better, hopefully we'll be allowed to let in. And this is a major letdown, unfortunately, for ticket holders. But that is how it's going to be this season. Okay, so we're going into the Yankees transition and the Yankees portion of our podcast. So let's review the last three exhibition games. Reminder, I am going live on Thursday for the Yankees opening game in D.C. versus the Nationals. So the Yankees won against the Mets 9-3. That was on Saturday. Sunday, the Yankees won 6-0. Most of their starters were playing. That was against the Mets at the stadium. Then the next day was against the Phillies. They actually tied because they're not going into extra innings in exhibition games. At least Girardi didn't want to as the Phillies manager. They tied the score at 2-2. Ford had a bottom of the ninth game-tying home run. He's very clutch, by the way. And if I'm going to be honest here, before we go into our takeaways, I didn't like him at first. I saw him pitch. In that blowout game 19-5 against the Indians, I was sitting in the second deck, and, you know, he was pitching, he was vibing. And then afterwards, what happened was, he started hitting very well again. And then he hit a walk-off home run, I think against Oakland. I think Gardner hit the game-tying home run, and then Ford hit the walk-off home run. So let's start with the first game that happened Saturday. Michael King went against Rick Porcello. Frazier... A lot of people are saying now that he's going to benefit off of no fans in the stands and no pressure. Well, he proved a glimpse of that when he hit a two-run shot off of Mets starter Rick Porcello. So that's some decent stuff. We still need to see defense out of him. Everybody remembers the Red Sox game that was on primetime, and he was playing right field. He wasn't doing good. He was filling in for Judge. So his defense needs to get better, but I like what we see out of the offense especially Frazier from that night, and he can seriously benefit off of no fans in the stands and no pressure, and also he could become a backup outfielder there carrying 30-man rosters, and he could split some playing time, some backup playing time with Mike Talkman or anyone else who maybe makes the roster as a backup outfielder. But the two eyes for me are on Talkman and Clint Frazier. Now, Talkman actually did pretty good that game. He didn't do anything sort of special. I mean, he did have an RBI hit, but... He was 3-for-5 against the Mets, and he was hitting in the one spot. So if things came to certain and LeMahieu or Gardner or somebody else couldn't play the one spot and he had to fill in for somebody, he could probably be in the one spot in the starting lineup. I'm just saying as a possible precaution for the future, even though this was an exhibition game. The Yankees also 
showed their situational play when they took advantage of the four errors by the Mets defense. Very sloppy play. I know it's an exhibition, but heading into the season, they may not be having a good look on defense. The bullpen did their job, though, as other than two runs, one by Britton and one by Ben Heller, the bullpen did its job. Chad Green, Tommy Canley, Adam Montevino, all of them returning from last year's team. Let's head to the second game. Jordan Montgomery pitched fairly well for the Yankees. He went extensive, especially for an exhibition game and the way he's been feeling after the Tommy John surgery. Six Ks, one walk, two hits, five innings pitched. And then afterwards, Jonathan Loisega, one hit, three innings pitched, and one K. Holder also did a good job behind him. So overall, the Yankees bullpen did their job in relieving Jordan Montgomery. Now, the offense was extremely explosive in home runs. Not one run Sunday was committed by an RBI single or something else. They were all on home runs. Two home runs by Aaron Judge, including one against the Phillies, which is something to look forward to. Judge had some neck pains from sleeping on his neck the wrong way, and he also had an injury before that. But this is something Yankee fans should get excited about, knowing he has hit three home runs in three exhibition games. Luke Voigt has also showcased his power. He also hit a home run against the Mets, along with Gary Sanchez as well. Giancarlo Stanton, though, did struggle in these three exhibition games. He was 0-4 on Monday, 1-4 against the Mets, and the game before that, 1-4 at City Field against the Mets again. Now, he had two Ks against the Mets in the second game and one K against the Phillies on Monday. What he also did, he had a hit against the Mets the first game, and then the second game, he powered one right to left field. It was so far in the bleachers, it was unbelievable. Just a glimpse of what Staten could do if he gets his plate discipline and his pitch recognition in order. Now let's move over to the Philly-Yankee game. So far, we've seen mixed results from Divey Garcia. His fastball had some uncontrollable movement, and his breaking ball has been left hanging way too much. And that contributed to his stats on the day with 1.2 innings pitched, 4 hits, 2 runs, 2 walks, and a K. Now if you guys want my honest opinion, I think that Clark Schmidt or maybe even Michael King would get a chance on the roster before Davey Garcia. Because Davey Garcia, honestly, looking from tonight, and even the pickoff moves weren't even so good. He threw one away. He threw another one away that was off of Roman Quinn's back, but he didn't advance because Roman Quinn was hurt. A lot of things need to get cleaned up for Garcia, and even though he is a top prospect and he's very exciting for the future, I just don't see him coming up right away and being a part of that 30-man roster. However, the bullpen did hold down the fort after he came out. Here are their individual stats. After Garcia came out, Hale 2.2 innings pitched, 2 hits, 3 walks, and a K. Nick Nelson came in after that, 1.2 innings pitched, 3 Ks. Innings pitched for Zach Britton in a hit. 2Ks and an inning pitched for Brooks Crisk. And Tony Zeich, inning pitched and a K. So even though it's an exhibition game, the Yankees bullpen is doing their job as usual. And we'll see if in the regular season they do live up to the hype. From these three a couple of takeaways to take away from these three games in specifics and stuff that jumps out at you. Davy Garcia. He's probably not going to come into the majors right away since he has some control problems. And especially with the pickoff moves, that might be dangerous in a sincere situation. The Yankees bullpen does continue to showcase their ability to save the starter, even if it's a bullpen day. The Yankees offense shows their showcase for power, even though Stanton 
struck out three times in three games and went over four against the Phillies. He did showcase his power with a home run against the Mets. Aaron Judge showcased he lost nothing and hit three home runs in three games, two against the Mets. Jordan Montgomery looks solid after the Tommy John surgery against the Mets, even though we are awaiting the results in the regular season. Final important takeaway from these games, especially the first one. Clint Frazier went 1-for-3, a homer and two RBIs, showcasing his power and his ability to have a backup spot on this roster and to play when he is needed and when he is ready. Same thing with Mike Talkman, who went 3-for-5 with an RBI and a double. So it's going to be a real interesting competition for the Giants outfielders to back up Hicks, Judge, and Brett Gardner. Most likely, Stanton will not play the outfield as much as he probably will contribute to the designated hitter spot. That is my Yankee breakdown for the first three exhibition games. And don't worry, it's going to get real interesting when we get to the season. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. This is the first episode where I really broke down the Yankees in these three exhibition games and really went into Yankee topics. Thank you to our new followers and new supporters ever since the transition was made. Remember, my Giants current account is going up for free purchase. If you want to possibly get an Instagram account, contact me or DM me somehow. Remember, all of our links are inside the link tree in our bio. Follow our social media pages at Big Blue in the Bronx. Thank you guys for listening, watching, wherever you're listening, watching from, and we will see you on Thursday.